Thank you very much, Meg. So, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to just see all of your faces, um, and it's just an amazing and incredible privilege for me to just share the Word of God with you, um, and I really pray that I'll yeah, just share only what God wants me to share this afternoon, um, and I, I prayed a dangerous prayer earlier, and I said, God, if there's anything of my own life and my personal life that you want me to share, would you please just come and bring it into remembrance? Come and remind me if there's any detail of my life that you want me to share, because I don't want to deliver just words to you. I don't just want to deliver something that's you know, just a dead letter, you know, but I really want to tonight hopefully portray, you know, just, yeah, just what God can do through a simple life. And tonight I'm going to speak to you about just being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. Um, and I just want to use my own life. And this wasn't the plan actually to tell my personal story, but as we just, uh, uh, was singing the song of, you know, just uh, the goodness of God. I was actually reminded just of the goodness of God just on my own life and what God has done in my own life. And I am going to try to tie that in um, and actually try to prove to you, you know, how God has uh, formed me in the image of Jesus Christ through various trials and various things that has happened in my life. Um, and uh, Leonard and Mac and the team can critique me afterwards. Uh, but I'll, I'll go for it. Um, and whatever detail I'm not sure, I'm just going to hope that I wasn't meant to share that. Um, but my story uh, begins uh, in the free state. So I was born in a very small place called Nyakalong. And that is about 20 to 30 kilometers away from a small place called Vialcom. It's a mining town. Um, and I grew up in a family where I... Tosa family, uh, and I grew up when I was a few months old. My father decided he is just going to buy something at the shop, um, and then when he came back, I think he lost the address, you know, like to where our house was. Uh, because just growing up, I didn't know him. He left when I was, I think, about yeah, just a few months old. So I never, I never knew him. People would always tell me, "Godfrey, your father loved you like he didn't want anyone to, uh, you know, to do anything to do to you. Um, he he genuinely, genuinely loved you." But unfortunately, I I don't ever memory of that. I didn't know that. Uh, and growing up, uh, I grew up with my grandfather and my grandmother, so that left me, you know, open to, I think, all sorts of vulnerabilities and all of that. And I actually have never, I think, shared it to, uh, yeah, just in, in the church this. Uh, but when I was a few years old, uh, between the ages of five and seven, staying with my grandmother and my grandfather, I was actually molested, um, you know, in my family by various members of, of, of my own family. And uh, obviously, as a little boy, you, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what, what this is, is. You know, you only later on in your life realize actually what, what happened to you. And uh, through this, I then when I was about six, I moved to Valcom because that's where my mother was. My mother was a domestic worker. Uh, but I remember even just before I moved to my grand to my to my to my mother is she would come back every end of the month and and she come back it would be one of those weekends where it's amazing to see her because I've longed for her and I just want to spend time with her and then that weekend when she leaves on a Sunday usually she would come on a Friday and on a Sunday she would leave and it would be a tussle in my heart it would be a you know I would cry and I would just crawl it would be you know just a struggle to to just have my mother go away again so I I grew up with this rejection thing when my mother would go, she would, she would come, she would go, she would come, she would go. And obviously as a child, you equate love to presence. So if your father or your mother is present, that's love. If they're not present, it means they don't love you. Uh, 
so then I, I, I moved to my mother when I was five. And my mother decided it's a great idea uh, just to take me to an Afrikaans school. So I grew up speaking Sesotho in the free state. And I spoke Xhosa with my grandfather because I'm Xhosa. And then when I went to school, my mother decided it's a good idea to take me to an Afrikaans school. Uh, so so it was a, I, I went in this school and I was super confused. I didn't know what the, you know, the kids were saying. I didn't know what this language was all about because I've never heard it before then. Uh, but through God's grace, about six months in, you know, yeah, I, I I could, I could, I could, uh, yeah, just uh, speak Afrikaans, which I'm really, really grateful for today as I look back. So growing up, I grew up in a, in a very, uh, a very, yeah, I don't know even how to put it, but a very poor family in the free state, and I had a concept of who God was, but not a concept of who Jesus was. I didn't have a concept of, you know, what it means to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I just knew that there is a God that's alive, that's out there. Uh, and I was part of a very traditional call, a church called the ZCC Church. And uh, yeah, so, so just growing up in this church means I saw various things, you know, that I didn't understand and, and all of that. Um, and, uh, and I think you would probably yeah, know, know very much about the ZCC Church being from Limpopo. Uh, so, so then what happened was as I, as I transitioned into school, I had this failure mindset in me because no one in my family had ever finished school. So I thought... I am not going to be anything in this life. I was actually just waiting for somewhere in my life where things are just going to hay- go haywire and I'm actually going to leave school. So uh, going through primary school, I, you know, I, I loved going to church. I loved being in this you know, traditional church. You know, I loved singing and, and all of that, you know, although I didn't, I didn't think I could sing or anything. Uh, but I, I just loved you know, being among, among these people. Um, although I didn't have a, a full concept of what it looked like to personally be in a relationship with the Lord. And and then when I was grade seven growing up, uh, so I always had this rejection thing because of my father not being there. I always felt I'm lo- unloved. I always felt like I'm not worth it. Uh, I always felt that I needed to prove myself to people. I need to prove myself that I can do something because I realized that when I do something good, you know, then people give me applause. My teachers give me applause. And if I do something bad, then people reject me. So I thought if I could do good enough things in, in this world, you know, then people would actually accept me. Uh, and just to maybe backtrack a little bit is growing up, so between the, yeah, when I was around five, my, my grandfather uh, worked at a farm in the free state, and he worked for the most racist Umi that you could ever find. Um, and as I think back, there's a lot of actually what happened to me as a child of how, you know, that Umi treated my, my grandfather and I, that, that really left me scarred. And, and if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to do a healing and a restoration in my heart, I honestly think, if I can just put it bluntly, and I'm sorry for this, Leonard, but I really think I would hate white people. Um, honestly, if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ coming into my life and God for transforming my life, I honestly think I would have been at a much, 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 much bitter uh, and a place of hatred in my life. And I'm so thankful uh, just looking back to see what God had done in my life. So by the age of grade seven, when I was about 12, um, I started struggling heavily in my heart because now as a teenager, you're growing up and you're wondering, what does it look like to be a man in this life? What does it look like, you know, to uh, your, your identity just as a guy, as a boy in this world? Who am I and why am I even here? What's my purpose in this life? 
And uh, as I was just struggling with these things, I remember just the, the, the end of my grade seven year, one of my aunts you know, said, Godfrey, you are a young man now and you're going to high school. Here's some beers for you to celebrate. Um, and it was my first time in my life that I actually you know, drank alcohol. And as I drank this thing, I realized, whoa, here is a way that I can use to escape from the stuff that I was feeling. So from, the, from the, my, my December year of grade seven until my grade 10 year before I got saved, I was literally a child alcoholic, you know, because it was the only way that I knew in my life of how to escape this pain and this hole that I felt in my heart. Um, And as I transitioned over into into high school, I knew when I looked at my life, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was far away from God. I knew that I needed God, that I'm lost. I knew that there's something better in this world, but I don't know what it is. I, 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 I could taste the darkness. Honestly, I could, through the hatred that was, you know, in my life and the hatred that I felt for myself because of various things that has happened, the molestation, the, my, my father leaving, and all of those things, I, I, could, I, I could taste the hatred that was in my heart. I I didn't like myself in a sense because of these things that had happened. And then in grade 10, I remember meeting a young guy uh, by the name of Praven Spielman. Um, And as I looked at this guy, he was a a short colored guy and he just oozed and reflected Jesus like nothing I'd seen in my life before. I looked at him and I didn't know what it was. And my words were, Praven, I think you have what I want, but I don't know what it is. You know, that those were the, that, that because I didn't have language to say, what is this guy experiencing? Why is his life the way it is? Because we went through s- sort of the similar stuff, but he was so much better on the other side. And I could see that this guy actually has life in him. And I went to him and I said, please, please, please uh, show me what this is. And, uh, and uh, you know, when I, when I was just uh, having this conversation with him, he said, uh, Godfrey, I just want to invite you to come to my church. And then as soon as he said church, I, you know, it's something in me just said, no, that, that is not me. Um, it's not, I, I don't do that life because here's uh, uh, the background for that. So when I was in primary school, my mother had a, um, had a boyfriend and we lived with this boyfriend of, of hers. Uh, he was a Zulu guy, also a pastor of this church that I was in. Uh, and he was basically at church. Everyone literally worshipped the ground that this guy worked on. And then at home, he was a monster of a monster of a monster. He was an abuser. He was... Yeah, honestly, with, with a lot of reasons, he was a horrible person, you know, at that life. And I'm, I'm glad that God had obviously has done a work between him and I. But he was, so, so through all of this, I looked at his life. I loved going to church, but I looked at this guy's life at church and then at home. And I went to my, my, my mother and said, um, if this is what Christianity is all about, then from today on, I, I want nothing to do with Christianity. I don't, you will never ever see me again at a church. You will never hear the word of God on my mouth because if this is what it looks like, then I don't want any part of it. So then from my grade eight year until my grade 10 year before I got saved, I didn't go to a church a single time because I thought, if this is what, what is it? If this is who God is and his nature is, then I don't want to do anything with this thing. And then when I met this guy, he said, come to church, and I didn't want to go. And then he said, no, God, it's, it's just going to be youth, you know, so it's young people, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll enjoy it. And then I think he mentioned something about a cake because it was someone's uh, birthday. And when I heard cake, I was like, that's where I want to be, you know, <laughs> that's where I want to be. So then I, I walked into this, they, they had church at a school, and I walked into this youth group, and I, 
I, like even today, I, I, I can feel it even right now. I walked in and people who didn't know me from a bar of soap just looked at me and they just started asking me, who are you? What's your life all about? Where do you come from? They just loved me in a way and welcomed me in a way that I've never ever in my life have experienced. And I thought, being the skeptic that I was, that no, this is just a, a new person syndrome. You know, at church when you're new, everyone is kind of friendly. You know, they just want to come to you and visit you and have coffees with you. And then sort of when a few weeks down the line, it's like, nah, you're not a newbie anymore. We move, we move to another newbie. And I hope that none of you have experienced that in this church. I really hope so. Uh, so uh, I then asked this guy because I was very skeptical, Praven, can I come with you to church on a Sunday? Because I wanted to check out if this is, was the real thing. And I want to say with this that sinners know the real thing when they see it. I honestly want to tell you that if you have friends in here that doesn't know Jesus, they look at your life and they can see if something, the way that you're leading your life, they can see whether it's fake or whether, you know, really you are a lover of Jesus. So when I went on the Sunday I, uh, uh, I, I, I kind of like just checked this thing out, and again, I met other people, all the people who were the same as the people that I met on Friday evening, and I thought, this was strange, you know, uh, but I thought if I could come back here long enough or regular enough, somewhere someone is going to crack, and this thing is going to go away, and I'm going to see these people for who they truly are, but lo and behold, this thing didn't change, and I realized these are actually these people actually are Christians. These are actually the lovers of God. These are actually the people, you know, that, that really know God. Uh, and, uh, you know, God used that experience in a massive way. And I remember one Sunday, my pastor was preaching about the Father heart of God. And as he just preached on that, because it was a big, a big struggle in me, and because of that, I gave myself to many different things that I shouldn't have given myself to. Uh, when, when, when he said that, something in my heart just clicked, and I just said, God, I know, I know, I know. I know that I know that I know that you love me and I know that you are my father. And immediately I could feel that spirit of often, like that often spirit just like fleeing from my heart. And at that moment, I knew that I was a son of God. I knew that I was accepted. I knew that, man, I've, I've, I've finally come home, that God had done a work in my heart and God started doing a work of restoration in me. And, uh, and when this happened, I was, I, was, uh, I was extremely excited, you know, and I remember going home. Uh, but here's the thing that was amazing for me. I remember my mother looking at me, and as she looked at me, she asked me, because she said, what happened to you? And I asked her, what, what, what do you mean, what happened to you? She said, like, no, what, what happened to you? You're, you? you're not the same boy that I know. What, what happened to you? There's something that happened to you. And then I sat my mother down, and I said, I met the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, I, I could see, you know, by the way that you entered the door, I knew that something in you has changed. So it was significant for me that I didn't just know that, that God has shifted my life, but my mother, the, the person who birthed me, could immediately, as I walked into the house, she could see that something of Jesus had touched my life. And I, I thought, you know, by that time that, hey, you know what? It's amazing when you're a Christian. I mean, it's like, you know, many preachers say online, I mean, if you want to go look at a nice, you know, little um, preach to listen to, many preachers will promise you that as soon as you find Jesus, your life is going to be perfect. You know, you're going to have a lot of money. You're going to be rich. You know, you're going to, you know, they, they promise all of these things. So I thought that's how life is going to be. But lo and behold, when I was in grade 11, 
my uh, stepfather actually chased me away, um, you know, from the house. So he kicked me out of the house because at that stage of my life, I, I was a bit, I'm, I'm a small guy, you know, so, so I, was, I was small, even smaller back then. But I stood up to him and I said, if you want to lay a hand on my mother, then unfortunately you're going to have to lay your hands on me first and then get to her. You're going to have to kill me in order to get to her. And, uh, and, and he said, no, if you want to be a man, I will show you what it feels like to be a man, and I'm going to chase you out of my house, you know. And, and, and as a great 11-year-old, I, I had to kind of, you know, just make a plan. A few days I would sleep here by these friends, and a few days I would sleep there, and a few days there. And then when I went to my grade 12 year, uh, the church that I was in, they said, hey, we, we, they were building a church. And then they said, we need someone to come and look out, look out for the, the church, you know, material that was there, like box DNA and cement and all of those things. And then they said, we'll, we'll get a caravan and we'll, we'll piece a caravan there. And then this person will be, you know, they will look after these things. And then I, you know, put both of mine and I say, please, please, I want to come and stay because I don't have anywhere to go. So I finished my school in this little caravan. Uh, with one of my friends, uh, and, and, and God just, ah, God showed himself in an incredible, incredible way. Until today, as I look back, I, honestly, I don't know how I wrote my last exams. I don't know how it became that I passed my exams. I don't know how you know, it came that I went to university. It was just God after God after God after God after God. But the reason why I'm sharing this story now is I want to show you that, that I was, when I, by the time that I got to Jesus, I was messed up. There was so many things that, uh, wounds and things that I held onto. There was so much bitterness and so much hate. And, and so many different things and that life, dark things that had happened to me that I honestly, first of all, didn't believe that there's a God that exists. And even when I was in God and even after meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, there were still a lot of things that God had to come and deal with in my heart. You know, there were uh, uh, from ancestral worship, you know, to uh, just different ceremonies being done in my family. When I was a, a little boy, I could see when a Sangoma would come home and they would cut people, you know, in the family and do performance. Rituals and all of that, or when someone passes away, there were many things that I that I held on to, and that were a part of me when I came to to Jesus Christ, and that meant, um, you know, that that's that that I needed a lot of work. That meant that I was honestly super, super, super messed up. But uh, I thank the grace of God as I look back just of every single thing that God had done and the way that God used the church and the way that he just took me on a journey of just restoration and healing and that I can stand here as a man. I'm not going to proclaim tonight that I'm, I'm healed and I'm 100% God. I'm still, you know, a work in progress. And that's why I'm preaching on this word tonight of being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. I recognize and I realize now that I'm still in the process of God bending me and God shaping me and God just doing a work in my life. And uh, uh, so just to, to try to take this with my message is, for, for some of you guys would know that uh, my wife and I, we are pregnant uh, and we're expecting a little boy that will be born in, uh, in November. Uh, we are 21 weeks. So it's, a, it's an exciting time, and as you go for your 21-week scan, for those of you who have children in here, you would know that this is a scan where they actually look at the, at the whole overall uh, just improvement and development of the baby. So they look at the organ, they look at the, the organs, they look at the bone structure, they look at various, various things. So it's a very, very detailed scan, and I remember I laughed because I mean, they even look at how, how, how many fingers he has. They, they actually make sure that he has all 10 fingers, that he has 
all ten toes. They zoom into the heart and you see actually how the heart is beating. So they look at every single thing to make sure that this baby is developing the way that they should be developing at this time. And they actually measure him from head to toe to say, okay, now it's, it's a normal development. He is where, where, where he should be and things are developing the way that it should um, it should develop, but I was, I was laughing. You would listen to the video. You would hear me saying, wow, wow, that's amazing. Wow, I was so in awe of just this picture that I've seen. And we've had many scans before this, but I was just in awe of how just the, at the beginning of the scans, I remember it was just a, almost like a blob that is there with a heartbeat. That's all you see. But now, few few weeks after this, it's a fully developed baby that I can see. I mean, they look at his eyes. That is both eyes. They look at the, the spinal cord. Does that is that forming the way it should? And and as we were looking at this, we were just making a joke to me and I, in the, uh, while we were with the doctor, we were saying, oh, that's not my forehead. I was saying, that's not my forehead, but it's your forehead. You know, I was saying, I was saying, no, that, that's not your mouth. You know, like, it's, it's your mouth. And then I remember the, the scan as, as they were going, you know, I, I looked at, the, at, the, at his legs and I was like, now that's daddy's legs. You know, I was like, that's, that's the legs of a long distance runner. I could see that that's, that's my boy. You know, that's my boy. And, uh, and it was amazing, you know, to just look at this picture and to see, you know, how, how, how this baby is developing in his mother's womb. And, uh, and just looking at the similarities as parents between her and I, you know, and in a sense, we can see how he is a mixture, you know, he's a, a counterpart, he is almost a, a representative of both my wife and I, we could see, you know, little features of, you know, her features and my features, so you can see that this guy is actually, he's a mixture between the two of us, and I think there's a little bit of that as well that happened in the garden in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, when God said, let us make men in our own image, you know, I think there was a, a something of that picture as well that started happening, and I will, I will just, uh, uh, just uh, uh, go on a little bit to, to just explain a bit of just what, where, where am I coming from and what I'm trying to say. So from the beginning, God wanted us to look like Him. You know, he wanted us as well to be a representation, just like our little baby is a representation of both of us. God wanted us to be a representative of what he looks like. So we are created in his image and, his, and, and in his likeness. He, want, he wanted to have a good, you know, a perfect relationship and a communion with us. But then with that, he wanted us to be people that would look like him and that would represent him well. So when you look at... Uh, Genesis 1, 26 to 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make men in our image, after our likeness, and let them have a dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And as you look at the scripture, that word for image is actually, uh, let us make one who would be a, a representative of us. God is saying, let us make one who would be a resemblance of us. You know, he's speaking, the Godhead is speaking and saying, let us make a person that when, when the world looks at this person, that this person will be a resemblance 
and a representative of us. And then the word likeness there has also something to do with resemblance, but then it's actually a model. So let this one who we are creating, let him be a model to us. Let him be, when people look at him, a representation, a model or a similitude, a counterpart to how we look like, to, to God's nature. So that when the world looks at us as one, that they will see something of the image and the likeness of God. So this was God's idea from the beginning that you and I would actually be a people that represents Him well in our nature, in our character, in the way that we look, that we will represent something of God. But we know, obviously, that through the fall, uh, you know, that that, 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 or that whole picture was flawed. You know, that sin came into the world through Adam's obedience. And through this, we were not at a place where we could be actually a good or a representative of who God is. But God, through His mercy and through His grace and through the cross of Jesus Christ, He came and Jesus actually died the death that we were supposed to die. And in this, then, God extends salvation to us, to you and I, that when we respond and say, yes, God, we respond to your invitation because you want to have a relationship with us, then God starts a work of salvation, a work of sanctification or purification in us where, where again, He starts working in our hearts that we, we should come to a place of again looking like Him. And this will make sense as we, as we, as we go on. So then we see that the second thing is when we come to a knowledge or into a relation with Jesus, you know, God starts sanctifying us to be more like Jesus. And I want us to just read 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, which is a very, very popular scripture that all of us know. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And it says that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So this is what happens when you come to Jesus. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is now a new creation. And that, that word creation there actually looks back to that original word in Genesis 1 that speaks about you and I being a creation. So, so the intention here is that as we become a new creation, that we would almost like slowly come back to that original image of what God had in mind for us to be like. And it says that the old has passed away. So all of those sins and all of those bitterness and all of those things that I had as a little boy, now God starts, you know, to do a work of sanctification and purification in me. He deals with those things in order that I might come back to the place of actually being like him and looking like him. I hope that so far this, this makes sense. But uh, I, I, I truly believe that as, as, as I continue that it will probably make more sense. So, so in this process of sanctification, God starts dealing in us, you and I. And if you can think back of when you were actually, when you got saved. Um, you know, when God started dealing with, with sin, when God started dealing with the stuff that you've held on for such a long time, it was, it, it's, a, it's a struggle. Yeah? It's, a, it's, a, it's a painful process to go through. It's a good process to go through, but it's a painful thing to go through because some of these things have become so part and ingrained you know, in who we are you know, that as, as God just, just pulls these things away and as He restores us and heals us, it feels like there's something in us that God is actually plucking away. It's a painful process as is just separating ourselves so that ultimately we would look like him and be a representative of who he is. 
So this process of sanctification is, as we would know, it's facilitated by the Holy Spirit. And I remember last year, I, I was just having a quiet time, and, uh, and I was just, this word, the Holy Spirit, just kept, kept on coming up. And I, and I asked God, why, why is this? Why? I mean, it's the Holy Spirit. I know who the Holy Spirit is. We all know who the Holy Spirit is. But I felt God specifically that morning saying, Godfrey, I want you to grasp something. You know, that I, I'm not just saying this Spirit. But I'm saying the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit that is holy. And God started, you know, just sharing with me that I am not going to tolerate anything in you that is not holy. Uh, because I am holy. Because I'm a God. And, and 1 Peter 1.15 says, because God is holy, He calls you and I to be holy. So when the Spirit comes, when we receive salvation, it comes and indwells us. He starts dealing with anything in us that doesn't look like God. Anything in us that is not a good representation of who God is. He starts dealing with those things and he starts convicting us of sin and that, you know, the Holy Spirit won't stand anything in us that doesn't look like God. So that's why we get convicted. That's why the Holy Spirit brings to alertness, you know, some of the things that we go through or when we sin, that, that whole, you know, feeling, that shame and those things that come up, that conviction that comes up, it's God, you know, showing us that that which you are giving your soul to, it doesn't look like me and because the Spirit lives lives in us, he highlights those things that doesn't look like him. So, so with this, I really believe that we can't, as, as Christians, you know, we're in a season as Landon was preaching last week, God is putting his finger on some stuff, you know, where God is just, in a sense, cleaning up the house a bit, and where there's certain things that maybe that was overlooked in the previous seasons as the church was just going through a, a time of, you know, just beginning and formation, and it was amazing and exciting, and the energy was high and all of that, but now we're slowing down, and God is saying that even those things that looked like they were overlooked, now I'm putting my finger on those things. And some of us are starting to experience those things. Lena told us last week that, you know, as elders, we've had conversations where God is putting his finger on some of those things in our lives. And we've had actually to sit down with each other to sort these things out. And, and I love the fact that he's saying that, you know, God starts with the leadership and it's coming to you. And I know that some of you has also begun just uh, experiencing some of those things. And, and you are in a season right now where even, you know, for, for some of us that, that for a long time we've toyed with sin. For a long time we were comfortable with sin. But in this season, God is saying, I'm not going to overlook that thing anymore. I am calling you to repentance and I do, wanna, I do want you to change. And the picture that I had... Uh, just as we were busy praying with prayer meeting earlier, was this picture of, uh, of, of an iron that was in the fire. And, and we all know that iron is a very, obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a very hard material. You can't just take an iron and bend it. But I saw this iron that's in a fiery furnace. And as it's red, you know, th that's when you can, you can take a hammer and you can beat it and you can bend it actually to the shape that, that, that which you, you, you want to shape it in. And, I, and with that, I really felt like for some of us, the, the stuff that we have in our hearts, are so ingrained in us. Some of the sin, you know, that we held into are so ingrained in us that it would take, you know, God, you know, intentionally putting a fire in us to be able to deal with those things and to be able to bend us. So, so some of us, if you experience something of just God's fear and God's conviction, just know that God is putting his finger on something and we can't overlook those things anymore. Um, and, and again, as I, I just want to share a story just in my own life where I experienced something of this uh, just happening as God was sanctifying me. 
So because of these things that's happened in my life and molestation, all of that, for a very long time of my life, I actually struggle with pornography and I struggle with sexual immorality. So much so that even when I got saved, I found myself still looking at things that I shouldn't look at. I found myself giving myself to things that I shouldn't look at. And then uh, by the year of 20, 2012, I remember being in a, uh, I was in Every Nation Bloemfontein, and I attended something called Victory Weekend. And as I attended this Victory Weekend, I just, you know, kept in, I, I just came in there, and I, and, I, and, I, and I asked God, God, would you please, I am tired of struggling with this thing. Because what happened was, I would take a mic on Sunday, and I would lead worship, and I would preach, and I would do, you know, incredible stuff. And then I would go back home and I would go watch things that I shouldn't watch because I was addicted to pornography. I want to put it, there's no children in here, so I want to put it as it is. These were the things that I was struggling with. And I came to a point of my life of saying, God, I am tired of struggling with these things. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. Uh, and I remember attending this Victory Weekend where for the first time in my life, actually God showed me and he highlighted to me what had happened. This was the first time that God actually brought to remembrance that because of the sexual, uh, not the sexual immorality, but the, 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 the molestation that happened as you were a child, this, this was actually the root of what you were struggling with. Because I didn't deal with that pain, you know, I found myself even saved, you know, loving God and loving people and loving his church. I still, it, it felt like, you know, when, when something is a pull in you, you know, it was a pull in me and it, it pulled me to sin every single time. It doesn't matter what I did. I just felt pulled to sin. And, and God started highlighting in me that, that because of that thing, and if you're not going to deal with that thing, you know, you're not going to be free from this thing. And as, as I just started dealing with my past and, and, and trusting God for healing and God bringing restoration in the family and all of those things, then uh, then it, it, it started feeling like I'm moving slowly, moving to a point of victory, but it was still not, not enough. I still kept on, you know, just being in the cycle, you know, for, for a few months things will go well and then I would fall back again and so forth. And then until a few years back, and, and Leonard has shared his story about how God, um, you know, has, has just uh, brought victory in his life. And I was actually this afternoon, I was just thanking God for Leonard's life. And I was thinking, if it wasn't for Leonard, I, I, I honestly, I honestly, and, and, and I know it's bad to say this, but I don't know if, if I would have been free. I honestly don't know if I would stand here and be free of sexual immorality if Leonard didn't have the guts enough to stand in front of a few elders of George and to say, I'm struggling with this thing. And, and as he dealt with his sin, I dealt with my sin. I remember the night when Leonard, uh, when Leonard called me. I was with my wife, and then he said, Godfrey, this is what happened. And I remember he said, you're probably going to have to, to lead the church for a couple of, for a couple of weeks because Mac wasn't, wasn't here yet. Um, and, I, and I remember just, uh, uh, you know, just hearing that, and, and, and as we dropped the phone, I, I thought to myself, there's no way that I could lead the church for the next couple of weeks because I'm also dealing with this sin. You know, but, but here's the thing. I've never told anyone at that time that I'm dealing with this thing. I didn't tell my wife that I was dealing with this because by that time I was married. This was two years ago, Leonard. Huh? Two years ago. And I remember 
just uh, this picture of an iron and the fiery furnace. I remember literally as Leonard dropped that phone, it felt like a fire, like a literal, literal fire started bo- uh, like boiling up in my stomach. And I felt as if God was saying, God, if you're not going to deal with this thing, it, it, it really like it physically felt like I was going to explode. I, I can't describe this feeling. It felt like if I'm not going to tell my wife that I'm struggling with this thing, if I'm not going to open up to the leaders of this church to say I'm struggling with this thing, it felt like physically I was going to explode. Um, and I remember we, we had someone at our house that evening, and as we, 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 we t- took her back home, I, I asked my wife, can I, can I drive with you? Because the idea was when I get into the car, when we get back, that I would share with her, which is a horrible idea because she'd be driving at that time. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but then, I, I, and, and she could see that something, something changed between that phone call and, and now something has changed. And, and I wanted to share it in the car, but I felt like I, I couldn't, I couldn't. And the more that I resisted from sharing and opening up, the more that, that fire, that feeling, just, it, it just felt more intense and more intense and more intense. And then that evening, I knew that I needed to deal with this thing once and for all. And I had to sit my wife down and saying, this is what I'm struggling with. For many years of my life, I've struggled with sexual immorality, and I haven't told you about it. By that time, she knew a little bit of my, of my past, and she knew the things that has happened in my life, but, but it was the first time that I actually sat down with her and just literally opened up all the cards to say that this is what I was struggling with. You know, and I thought by, by that time, after sharing with her, things were going to be okay because, I mean, the grace that she showed me was unbelievable. I know my wife, and she is a righteous woman of God. She hates sin with a passion. Honestly, like if there's one thing, she hates sin with a passion, and, and, and especially those kind of stuff. And I thought this was going to be the end of it, but the grace that my wife showed me that night, I can't describe to you just the love and the grace of Jesus Christ that he showed to me. And, and I thought by that time, no, this thing was going to be fine. But then I felt God saying, no, 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 your wife knows, but there's other people that still need to find out about this thing. And I, and I wanted to just kind of like just shrug that off because I was like, the most important person that should know about this knows this, so I, I don't need to deal with it anymore. But then I felt God saying, no, no, you, you're going to have to deal with, you're going to have to, you know, share this with Leonard as well. And I wanted to, you know, just, as I said, shrug it off. But then the, the following day, uh, we were at, uh, we had a guy's time at, uh, at bootleggers. We were having coffee as gents with bootleggers. Some of you guys were there. I think Rulof was there, if I'm not mistaken. It was just guys that were there. And, and I felt, again, this feeling just like boiling up. As soon as I, I, I thought of Leonard and thought of telling him, I, I just felt this thing just, just again, you know, coming and coming. And then I picked up my phone. I said, Leonard, we need to meet up. You know, and Leonard said, I'm not allowed to meet with people. But I said, I, we, I, I honestly need to meet up. And then Leonard and I, we sat in bootleggers, and I told him this is what, what I was struggling with. And then as soon as I did that, that feeling just in a most incredible way just dissipated. It just went away as a peace of God and the forgiveness of God just came and filled me. God started dealing with me. And God started now starting a work of deep restoration. Um, and I can stand today saying that I'm a man that is delivered from this thing because of what God had done through Leonard's life. And that through that, I could piggyback you know, on what God had done in his life. Um, but, but, but it was a season of God saying that for, for many seasons, I've overlooked this thing. But in this season, I 
am not going to overlook this anymore. And, and luckily for me, or I say luckily, I wasn't an elder yet, you know, so I didn't have to come, you know, to, to stand in front of you to say this is what I was struggling with. You know, I could deal with it in, in my own space, in my own way, and I could, you know, get people to just come alongside of me, uh, which, which spared me, obviously, a lot, of, a lot of trouble. But it was a season of God saying that I'm not going to overlook this thing anymore. And I want to encourage us with this to say that we are in that season where I really truly believe that especially, you know, as young people, we have, a, it's almost like a window of opportunity that God gives you in your youth, that there are some sins that if you're not going to deal with them now, I promise you, it's going to become harder and harder and harder and harder to deal with those things. That as I look at this sin specifically, you know, of sexual immorality, I, I wish with everything in me that I had dealt, I could have dealt with this thing earlier on. I really, I, I hope and I wish, you know, I could have written the story in such a way that I wouldn't have to look my wife in the eye and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And I want to encourage us that if you are a young person in this time, especially before you are married, if there's any sin, it doesn't have to be sexual immorality, but if there's any sin that you struggle with now, that it almost feels like God gives us energy and it gives us power and strength while we're young to slay these dragons, you know, to put these things to sleep once and for all, to now trust Him and wrestle with this thing, you know, like, like Jacob where he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go, God, until you bring deliverance over me. This is, this is how our attitude needs to be to say, God, I am not going to let you go until you set me free from this thing that I've struggled with for a very long time. I really truly believe that there is a there is a grace for us in this season to deal with these things. And even for for some of us that are that are more senior in the room to say that it, it's not all all hope is lost. That even right now God is extending His mercy. He's extending His grace to us to say that it doesn't matter how long you've struggled with whatever it is, whether it's in your marriage or, or your parenting or whatever it is. You know, that it's not all hope is lost. That even in this season I am extending grace and I am extending mercy for you to deal with whatever you need to deal with because we are being transformed into the image of Jesus so everything in us you know whether, whether it's think about it for, for, for a few moments going to come it's not just going to come being a part of the church. It's not just about being part of a church, but through all of these things, God is busy transforming us. He's busy changing us, you know, into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that impedes in that process, if there's anything that, that, that almost like, uh, uh, that, 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 that interrupts that process, He will highlight it by His Holy Spirit and He will ask of us to deal with those things. And my encouragement is let us deal with those things. And then lastly, um, I just want to say, you know, it's, 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 it's fun and, you know, and all to say, you know, we need to deal with things in our lives. But how do we then begin to deal with those things? And I really truly believe that it's, it's as we behold the person of Jesus you know, that we become like Jesus. It's as we spend intentional time with Him that we become like Him. And it, it, it's a, I've seen this in my life. When we, to me and I, when we go to the free state, it's funny that when we spend either time with my family or her family, people will say, hey, 
you know what you just said now, or the way you laughed, or the way you, the, the, that you reacted, it, it, it reminds us of, of your wife. You know, my, my family or her family would say that. It actually reminds us of Tumi. And what they're saying is, you guys have actually, through the four and a half years that you've been married, you've actually become like each other. Because we spend so much time, you know, it's, it's like the way that I laugh, or some of the jokes that I make, or, or even just some of the reactions, some of the things I don't even know about. Other people can see those things, but it's because we, we, we spend close time and, and a long time together. And I truly believe that it's the same with Jesus, that as we, you know, look at Jesus, as we behold Jesus, that we become like Jesus. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, that reads as follows. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I'm just going to read it again. It says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. So it's as if as we are beholding Jesus, we're becoming like Jesus. And the word for transformation there is a word that we all know, metamorphosis. Just simply mean that we are being changed. Changed into what? Into the, the image of Jesus Christ. So, so as we behold Jesus, that we become like Jesus. And we see this in many, many different places. You know, that it's as we become, as we see Jesus, we become aware of who we are and we become aware of the things in us that doesn't look like Jesus. You know, you see this in Isaiah 6, you know, like where it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. And then he describes this glorious picture of how he saw the Lord, you know, with the, the rope of his, you know, of, of his cloak filling the temple, his presence filling the temple. But then he says, as he looked at this picture, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. So it almost looks like as he beheld, you know, the person of God or the glory of God, suddenly he became aware of his own sin and the sin of his people. And that's what happens when we behold God. Suddenly we become aware of our sin and who we truly are and how depraved we are. And, and the second one, we see this in Acts 4 verse 13 where, Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, and they, they, they're just being arrested for, for preaching the gospel. And it says that as they looked at the boldness of Peter and John, they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. So as, as they are with Jesus, there's something of Jesus that rubs off of them. They, they see that this is how Jesus is. This is how we are. And, and the way we are doesn't match up you know, like with Jesus. But the more they spend time with Jesus, the more they became like Jesus. And it's the same thing for us. And in the last one, um, it's actually an incredible scripture. I'm not going to put it on the board, but in, in, in John 1, we see just before Jesus is, 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 is about to get baptized, there's a, there's a lot of crowds, you know, where John is busy baptizing many, many people. And Jesus is walking towards John, and it's almost as if John just stops everything, and he wants everyone to, to kind of recognize what's busy happening right now, and who is the most important person of this gathering. And as Jesus is walking towards him, he says, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it almost looks like he redirects everyone's attention and eyes to say, behold him who takes 
takes away the sin of the world. And, and John, it wasn't the first time that he did this, and it wasn't the last time either, because it says in John 1, 29, that as he were with two of his other disciples, so outside of that first gathering, he was in a different place, and Jesus was passing by, and again, he stops everything and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I truly believe that it's the same thing for us, that as we behold the Lamb of God, that we realize that we are not like Him, we are not like Jesus, and in that, we, we, we almost like accepted the grace that as we press into Him, and as we spend time with Him, and as we, as we go after the person of Jesus, you know, we become more and more and more like Him, because He highlights things in us, you know, that doesn't look like Him, and as we start dealing with those things, we become more and more like Him. So lastly, I just want to say that we are in a process where God, by His Spirit, is removing everything in us in this season that doesn't look like Him. It's a window and an opportunity and a time of grace that I believe that God is extending to us in this congregation to say, you need to deal with some of the things that are happening in your life. And I know that I know that I know that I know that there's a lot of us here that's, that are going through, through um, different things. And a, a second picture that I would just like to share that I just felt as well as I was uh, um, just, uh, just praying, as we were busy praying earlier, it was this, this picture of food. You know when, uh, I, I don't like sushi, and I'm sorry for all the sushi lovers that are, that are in here. My wife is still working on that uh, with me. Uh, so I'm a work in progress, as I said. So I don't like sushi, and I've, I've tried it a few times, and, and every time it hasn't been nice. You know, it's not nice. But, but I promise you, thank you, Nadine says it's horrible. And I, and, and, and it, but I know this. I know that if, if I can, in my, in, my, in my mind now, if I can decide I'm going to eat sushi today, it's not going to be nice, but I'm going to eat it. And then I decide tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go buy sushi again and I'm going to eat it and it's going to be horrible. And, and on, on Tuesday, I'm going to eat it and it's going to be horrible. And on Wednesday, I'm going to do the same thing. I promise you by the end of this week, that sushi that was horrible is not going to be horrible anymore. You know, something in my palate is going to get used to that sushi. And I, and, I, and I felt as if the Lord is saying the same thing to us, you know, that when, when, you know, when the first time when, when sin creeps into our life, you know, it's almost like that food that we taste and we're like... This is horrible. You know, we, we don't want anything to deal with it. But it's almost like the more we give ourselves to that thing, the more we open up the door, you know, the more we just look at one more picture, the more we do whatever it is, you know, whatever area it is that we're sinning in, it feels like the more we just open up the door just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, then we become comfortable in chewing that thing. And we become, we, we get to such a stage in our lives, you know, that we, we're chewing on that thing and it just, it's just a normal thing. You know, just this is who I am. This is a part of who I am. I've, I've gotten used to this sin, and I'm living with it. And, and some of us would even say, you know, th this is who I am. I, I can't do anything about it. But it's not, it's not who you are. It's because at some stage, you chewed on something. You ate something that you shouldn't have eaten. And, and as you gave yourself more and more and more and more to that thing, you came to a, pause, to a place of actually being comfortable with that thing. And I actually felt, you know, the Lord saying that there's, there's some of us here that has gotten comfortable with sin, that you are, you, you are gobsmacked in the middle of sin, but you've gotten so comfortable and so oblivious with that thing. There, there's, even, there's no fight in you anymore. You, you don't even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore because you've just, you've just got, gotten comfortable 
with this thing. And I truly believe, you know, that uh, as I said, that God wants to, He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us to look like Jesus. So it's not for Him just to bring conviction for the sake of conviction or for, to deal with sin for the sake of dealing with sin. But He wants to bring us back to the image where He says that you are made in my likeness. You are made in my image. And I want you to be a good representative, you know, of, of who I am in your workplace. I want you to be a good representation of who I am in, in your studies, among your peers, wherever you find yourself. I've met people like my stepfather, unfortunately, who wasn't a good representation of what it looked like to be a man of God. But I believe that God has something different for us that he's saying that I want to shape you in such a way that as people look at you, wherever you work or study, you know, even your children, you know, or just your fellow peers, that as they look at you, that they will see the image of Jesus in you. I hope that makes sense. So, so I don't know, Mac, if how you how you want us to to lend this, uh, but I, I just wanna just wanna create an opportunity where, um, I, like, I don't want to, in a sense. Uh, Awaken something where there's nothing. I don't want to, you know, Susie Afrikaans would say, tapa bloed uit de klappet. I don't want to do that. You know, but I just, want, I just want simply for us, as David said, Lord, would you come and search my heart? And if there's anything in you, in me, that doesn't look like you, just come and show that. I just want us to just come to that place tonight of saying, God, whatever it is tonight that you're wanting to highlight in my life, would you come and begin to intentionally deal with sin? Would you come and intentionally deal with the areas of my life that I haven't dealt with? You know, for some of us, we have those rooms, you know, where we've locked up some stuff in there. And we, even, we, we don't even know where, 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 the, where, where that key is that needs to open that room. We show people other compartments of our lives and everything looks beautiful and looks clean. But there's that one room, you know, like where things are tied up in and we don't want anyone to see. And maybe tonight, that's the room that the Holy Spirit wants to come and open up so that He can start dealing with the things that are happening in that room. I hope this makes sense. So I'm just going to ask us to maybe just stand.